Welcome to the What You Should Have Been Taught podcast, where we talk about everything you should have been taught in school but weren't. In particular, we'll focus on finances, fitness, and creating a phenomenal life on your terms. I'm your host, Kate Hildreth, former USA rugby player, entrepreneur, and real estate investor. I'm also LGBTQ, so if you're looking for a queer mentor you can trust, you finally found one. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. All right. Welcome, Patrice. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm really excited to showcase your area of expertise. Um, I saw your TED Talk recently, which was profoundly moving, so we'll get into that in more detail. But to start with, identities are multifaceted and they're layered. So what identities do you embrace and what do they mean to you? Absolutely. Um, so one, let me say thank you again for the opportunity to be before you and to, to talk to your audience. Um, I identify as Black, I identify as queer, I identify as transgender non-binary. Um, and I do so all of those things unapologetically because when I walk into a space, I can't take one of those things off in order to be in the space. So I always tell folks, you, you honestly have to take me whole or you're going to choke. That's all, all that can happen. Um, and, and the reason for that is because I just refuse to no longer cut myself into power palatable pieces that are digestible to, to the average person. Um, because I think that we are intersectionally beautiful in the way that we show up and that none of those things need to be ignored when we come into a space. And so um, those are, are the, the ones that I think uh, before I can even start talking about life and, and all the other things that I've in, encountered um, on this journey, those are the three that really resonate most with me. And that's typically where my work is centered uh, within those three salient identities. I love that. A long time ago, I got a compliment from a friend um, that has stuck with me. And he said, your authenticity is your superpower. And as you were mm -hmm. just speaking, I think your authenticity combined with your wholeness, your unwillingness to fragment yourself is really your superpower. I appreciate that. Very much so. I've, I've not heard that before, but that definitely is a gem I will keep. So thank you for that. It's clear to me. It's it most commonly with superpowers, the person who has them doesn't notice them because they're so <laughs> central to who they are. <laughs> right, right. Now I'm like thinking about all these, you know, the the heroes that we grew up with in comics and yes. things like that. And I'm like, no, none of them actually knew. Someone had to tell them. Correct. <laughs> that you know, right. that's not normal what you're doing. Right. <laughs> really, had no. And idea. it's too easy to them. It's the not knowing combined with it being too natural and easy. Mm -hmm. That is like the definition of a superpower. That is absolutely a definition. Of, yes, yes. But absolutely. difficult for the rest of the world. <laughs> yes, because it's it's not something that is innate for them. And and I, I would definitely say, as I look at my different salient identities, it's no different than breathing. I don't think about breathing, um, right. even living in Colorado, unless I'm up high and, it, and I have, there is a, a pressure on me, I don't think about breathing. Um, and especially when I come down to sea level, when you're running, if you run uh, in the mountains, it's not the same as if you run on <laughs> on uh, uh, on sea level. And so, for you, it's something that you are you're constantly having to not really switch in and out of. But the other person walking in, they're like, "You can breathe in this." Obviously, it has everyone else can. So this is normal. So yeah, totally yes. understand that. And so many people don't even realize, myself included, sometimes when I'm fragmenting my identity. So you're. Um, and this leads me into my next question, which is one of the things I admire about you is the strength with which you claim your identities um, and you claim them unapologetically. Um, so what has been your path to fully and radically accepting these identities? And furthermore, are there any of them that were harder to share in the public realm than others? Absolutely. I think uh, for some people, and I think I'm, I'm this type of person, um, sometimes I got to burn my hand to know that that the stove is hot. And so I had to get very low in my life in order to honestly appreciate um, who I am and what I bring to the table. And, and a lot of that was because it was stripped away from me. Um, being able to have to fit into a box, um, I began to suppress so much that just like anything else, it became natural. And someone had to tell me that what I was doing, that's not you. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, like I'm doing it. I'm, I'm like, I'm not performing at the level. And it's like, yeah, you're actually performing very well, but I know it's not genuine. And so it did take someone else to say who you are and what persona you have created for yourself is not who you truly are. And I had to go and, and really figure out where I showed up in this situation that was different from family and friends and spouses and all these other different people. I had to figure out who I was because I honestly believe that there was a point in my life that I was only surviving and someone else was living more than one life. 
I was just existing in that. And so now um, I take each day, each breath as a, as not only a new adventure, but something that is mine, holy. This is my life. This is my opportunity to fall <laughs> or rise. Like I get to decide that. Um, and uh, as I said before, I think, you know, with my blackness, I grew up um, in, a, in a Gullah um, infused home. Uh, um, my mom is from the Sea Islands of South Carolina. And so there was this very strong understanding of blackness and how blackness showed up. Um, but my queer and trans identity was something that I had to learn, which is, is interesting and in even having to say that um, because I didn't know what it meant to be queer. I knew all the bad things, but I did not know that there was a normality of life. I always thought it had to be drama. I always thought it had to be um, a pain and heartache and trauma of some kind. I didn't know that you can get up and go about your day as any normal person. And that's exactly how life is supposed to be. I didn't know that part of it. Um, and then even as my trans identity began to evolve, um, I didn't want to disappoint people. And I think that's a big part of when you, you stray from the norm. Not only do you kind of shine a light on yourself, but everyone that you're attached to is also that light is shined on them. And there is a, a fear that the people that you love the most will have to abandon you um, for their own self-preservation. And so uh, that was something I, I struggled with for a very, very long time. And so I had to get to the point where I was okay with being by myself. And that's if I lost everything. I, I had no love, I had nothing. I had to be okay with that. And thankfully the universe bent in a way that when I, I came into my own and I, I let go of all of those things that could hold me, um, that the universe multiplied that I would say tenfold. I, I, I've never felt so loved, so appreciated, so supported in my life, but that didn't happen until I began to appreciate and love and support myself. You said a few things there that were profound. The first one that literally gave me chills <laughs> was when you were describing discovering yourself. And I was thinking that is our sacred responsibility is to discover ourselves where we're here and your path to doing that and your unwillingness to stop, you know, to continue to pretend it, it gave me chills. And then secondarily, when you're speaking of being the source, your own source of love, validation and approval, that is again, <laughs> like such an incredibly hard thing to learn and a path that most of us are on. Um, so your willingness to face the fear and look it straight on and walk into the fear and realize that you essentially were fearless because you could walk straight into it. That was incredibly profound to hear as well. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, my dad is a uh, is military. And so I think some of the things that I learned, I, I definitely take from uh, both my parents actually military, um, but my dad was a drill sergeant. And one of the things that my dad would do that I thought was so profound is that good, bad, or indifferent, my father was always the same. Like my father doesn't yell. He doesn't do any of those things. Um, and uh, there is a, uh, a stillness in him. Like the whole world can be chaotic and he will be just as still. And there is a, as you've said, a, a superpower to that stillness yes. because he knows himself. Like yes. I can't control anything else that's happening in the world, but I can control me. Yes. And he prides himself on the, that self-control of his own discipline because he said, well, I can't discipline my children if I can't discipline myself. I wow. can't go wow. into <laughs> other spaces if I can't do it by myself. Um, I can't ask you to do anything that I can't do myself. And so I try my best in having conversations with anyone to remember that you can't ask a person to give if you're not willing to do the same. And that's something that has to be learned through your own journey. I don't think anyone can give it to you. You definitely have to learn it on your own. He's an incredible role model because I think that learning to have that deep oasis within, right? Like uh, I'm from the Midwest where there's the Great Lakes and I, I love the metaphor of, you know, the surface can be uh, rippling and there could be waves, but that lake is so deep, so deep mm. and so broad that it, you know, you can throw something huge in the lake and the rest of the a lake is just an oasis. And I think of that as the metaphor that I try to achieve, but it sounds like you had an incredible model in your dad, uh, which is not something that is <laughs> normal to have modeled your entire childhood. So you're very lucky in that sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I take it, um, I, I take that as a sacred gift. Yes. 
um, because I know everyone does not have that privilege. And so there are, there are things that I get to hold and to behold um, that uh, have, were a part of my journey. And I hope to be able to give that to someone else. Behold is a powerful world, word. I just heard it, as you said, hold and behold. And I was like, wow, that is a, that <laughs> is a powerful, because <laughs> it literally means to like beholden, I, I assume, but wow. Um, what was your path to discovering a queer and trans um, community? My, uh, I uh, was, I thought I was really good at being straight. So let me start by, <laughs> I thought I was really good. Like, I, like I'm playing this whole character, right? Um, and uh, for my graduate work, I was told that I had to go into a space that made me uncomfortable and I had to listen. And we did, we had to do a, uh, a qualitative um, um, narrative. And so you could not talk, you could not add anything, but you could only write what you heard. And so in my trying to come out in my own way, maybe it was a, a metaphysical trying to come out, I somehow decided I was gonna go to a pride celebration because I knew it made me very uncomfortable to be in that space. And so I wanna go into this, this, um, this area and I wanna write. And that's what I did. I started writing what I heard and what I was hearing were people. And it's, it's interesting that as long as I had been alive to that point, I did not see queer people as people. I saw them as their sexuality. I saw them as different. I saw them as all of these different things, but I never saw them as people. And I didn't realize it until I listened because now I can't give anything. I can't, I can't uh, provide any type of context. All I can do is sit in this space and I had to listen and I heard families and I heard community and I heard um, vulnerability. Um, and I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, I wonder if other people know this. <laughs> like, I, I thought I knew, but I really wonder if other people know this because again, when we think about pride, there's just this, um, the menagerie of, of outness and, and eccentrism and all these things that are so beyond um, what we would say is normal and to sit and listen to humans interact in a community setting that had nothing to do with race and origin and nationality or ethnicity. It was just people interacting with each other in as loving of a way of, as they could. And so I was just like, wow. Um, there's a reason why I was sitting here. There's a reason why I am in this spot and I'm gonna have to come to grips with the fact that I have felt my most authentic self here that I've ever felt anywhere else. And I tried to replay that. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go into you know another area um, and try to do this again. And it didn't feel the same. And I said, you know what? The universe is telling me that that's my community and that's where I need to be. And so for me, that's where I, I began to evolve from that. And it was, you know, you take on stereotypes and, and, and labels just like any other uh, community. I think we all try to take, where's my place and find my lane, right? Um, and so was able to uh, find community and people that had a lot of my shared values um, who were on different life journeys, but really had um, very set um, ideas of who they are and how they showed up. And so that made it easier for me to be who I was. And then as I learned about queer identity, I recognized my transness of that because trans identity is authentic to my blackness. Queer identity is also authentic to my blackness. And I didn't know that. I thought they were all separate identities and did not realize they were actually encompassing of each other. Um, and we have been told that those are not the, the right things. And so the more I became comfortable in my queer and trans identity, the stronger my pride became in my own blackness because I recognized I didn't have to separate myself in any of those things. But it all started with me sitting and having to listen to the humanity of my community um, that I didn't even know I needed at that time. Wow, the power of listening. I think most people listen to talk <laughs> or to respond and to listen, to listen, to know that you didn't even have the option. <laughs> so you had to listen from a place of being. That must've been incredible. 
It was a hard, it was experience? probably one of the hardest papers I've ever written um, because I was sitting here like, okay, the paper has no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, a, of it from a, you know, academic standpoint. Well, the, the paper has no beginning and no middle and no end. You're just telling me to write. And I'm, when I got finished, I didn't realize I had, I had filled up a, a notebook with just listening. And that was the purpose of the assignment. The purpose of the assignment was to challenge how we approached research. It challenged how we were supposed to approach our own positionality as we begin to seek out human participants. You have to be decentered and they have to be centered. And so like it was hard, but also at the same time, it was probably one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things that I've done within my own research was to not uh, be tied down by the, the, the academy as it were, um, but to listen to what people are saying who this is their lived experience and then allowing their words to speak for them and all I do is present it. it it's no longer oh this is my research and they're a part of my research it became their story that I get to convey and I think from there is where I began to even start thinking of myself more as a storyteller and no longer as oh I'm a researcher or I'm doing no I I'm a I'm a cultural storyteller I have the I have the privilege of presenting to you these different beautiful people and all of their flawed and messy ways that are actually gonna change the way that we approach how we do and teach other folks. And so that is something that I, I had a, a privilege of doing and I, I continue to do that in my, in my work. That feels like one of those before and afterlife moments, like before you <laughs> had this experience of listening and after you had this experience. Now it's like, I, I, it has changed the way that I teach. It has changed the way that I, I show up in a lot of, uh, of ways. Um, I have a um, uh, no questions clause in my syllabus. And that's if you wake up and all you had time to do that day was exist. And so that paper did not need to show up on my desk at a certain time, take that. Just take it and you know, and no ex explanation because life happens. And I have had actually less students take that, take me up on that offer <laughs> because they were like, wow, like now I have an option. Like I have that. And some students take it and, and a lot of students actually don't, but it's the, it's the humanity of the learning that I am more concerned with. But I don't think I would have ever done it if I didn't have a chance to listen um, and really listen from the heart instead of just listening like you said, to provide a, a rebuttal or some type of context or to clarify, just listen, you get a lot more out of people. I was thinking, I work with some people as a mentor as well. And, and even in my own life, I want to give myself the challenge to do that, like annually to find somewhere, A, the power of finding somewhere that makes you uncomfortable and B, just listening um, to truly feel with your being what, what is happening in that community. I just, I, I think that's an incredible gift that you were given it, even though it came as a challenge <laughs> it did. in a school project initially. Yes, I was yes. also thinking as you were talking, you know, so much of us seek um, outside, you know, like knowledge, we're trying to read this and learn that and study that. And you were describing the importance of that wisdom, what you felt in that moment and thinking about how internal wisdom is um, really made me reflect on that as you were speaking that I think so much of our knowingness and wisdom that we really um, is, is, equally important if not way more important that knowledge is actually within absolutely if, if we think about it our our bodies are self-containing yes our bodies do some fantastic things they are able to regenerate themselves they are able to heal they mm -hmm. are able to do all these different things but they cannot do it if you don't put the right things in so we have this beautiful tool this beautiful mechanism that is self sustaining but it must be nurtured and that is the reason why you bring these other things in but you still got to eat the right things <laughs> it can't be can't be junk it can't be uh, uh things that you, you know possible allergic to or things like that they, there's a there's very specific things that it needs in order to continue to do what it does well and so i think that's the same way that we if we think about it from our heart from our our head and from our hands that's what we need heart, head, and hands, if you put the things in it, it will actually give you the things that you need um, 
and probably it knows better than you. Uh, I, I would probably say that my body probably knows better than what my physical mind thinks it knows. It has a deeper knowingness for sure. Absolutely. Um, I see that you've worked with some major companies and brands, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor. Mm-hmm. What's your professional background and how did you become involved with this specific field of work? Yeah. So professional background uh, is in student affairs. So within higher ed, I do a lot of work in student affairs, um, but then having kind of formal training on organizational leadership, change management theory, um, things like that. So undergrad was, um, I was actually a science major as an undergrad. Um, and that's how I got to this change of, I wanna do DEI. Um, I was, a, my and as an undergrad, I was a, a biochem major with minors in math. Uh, I was a math minor. And I got to the end, I'm, I'm finishing up. We had a, what was called a junior seminar and then you had your senior seminar. And I was in class and I had a very brilliant friend um, who happened to be a Latina and uh, she also was undocumented at the time. And uh, honestly, in, I've, I've studied, I've gone a lot of places in the world and I don't think I've ever met a person as brilliant as um, she was and there were barriers um, that stopped her from being able to really exude some of those things and, and, and a lot of that had to do with her undocumented status but we were in class together and uh, she was presenting her project for junior seminar and uh, like anybody else when we get nervous we talk fast and she began to do that in class and our instructor said we speak English in this class and I just remembered this bright light of a person dimming in front of me and I got pissed like I didn't go through any other emotion but anger it was just like I'm ready to fight um and I said something and I looked at my fellow classmates like y'all ain't gonna say nothing like how dare you obviously she is speaking English obviously we are all doing a run-through you know how dare you that was really how I uh, interpreted it and that woman was pissed at me. Oh, she had a vendetta after me. And her and I got into, we got into it, honestly. And I remember I left, I left college, I left everything. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm not about to do this. Like, this is what you gonna do to people? Nah, I could work in a plant and I ain't gotta do nothing. I don't have to deal with none of this. Um, but I had a mentor who tricked me and told me that if I dropped out of college that I had to pay all my loans back that day. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, so I went back to school and I, I was supplementing my classes, um, my science classes for sociology classes. And so I switched my major over because I had enough credit and I made um, my uh, biochem, I made it uh, to actually have three minors because of that. Um, but that was the first time that I had, I gave up everything because I just knew it was right. And I was, I, I got, there was a content in that. My friend ended up finishing in the science program, did very well for herself within that program and continued um, to do uh, lab work. Uh, but for me, it was, a, it was absolutely a turning point. And it was the frustration and the anger that comes from um, oppression. And I didn't know the language for it at that time. I learned it when I got into sociology, but it was just this innate anger of, how dare you take away from me what is rightfully mine to, to take part in. Um, and from that, I think that's where the, the love came from. Um, and so I think I had the, the passion was there and then I needed the direction. And so this, the, the, the academia gave me the direction. So I did work, uh, finished uh, undergrad with sociology, then going and doing my master's uh, work in social justice. Um, and now finishing up my doctoral work um, in learning and, and, and um, organizational change um, uh, theory. So I'm, I'm seeing this progression of in order for us to understand um, diversity, equity, inclusion holistically, we must understand what it means to be just toward each other. Now, I cannot say that I, I study justice because we have to burn a lot of systems down to honestly get to justice. But, but honestly, I think those were the things that helped shape um, what I have, I have grown to do. So the passion was there, um, but the direction had to come with the, the academic rigor.
So you were telling that story about your friend who was presenting. I was thinking about how it comes back to, again, you felt her personal, you felt, you felt for her, just like where you're in that pride situation, that ability to feel, uh, another person's being is such a powerful, important life practice. Um, and then also I applaud you for standing up to her for her in an incredibly important situation. <laughs> um, and then as you were talking, the word abundance was coming to me, that the, the, the goal of life is really an abundance of everything, an abundance of ethics, an abundance of courage, an abundance of love, an abundance of um, being just toward each other, you know, abundance of whatever we, you know, nourishing food. But um, that, that word just kept rising up for me as you were speaking. And, and I think it's a really interesting path. You almost walked away from school and now you're deep <laughs> into multiple deep degrees. In it, right? <laughs> deep in it. And teaching. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, all I can think about is, as you were saying, abundance, it said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth yes. speaks. Um, and so whatever is in your heart, yes. if it is truly in your heart, yes. eventually it's going to come out. <laughs> and so, you know, we say, you know, you, you know, if you get a strong drink, you, whoever you really are is going to come out when you are suppressing everything else because your heart is going to be the loudest. Um, and I think that's where folks need to be thinking of when, when we think about even our own identities. Our identities came out of our heart. It wasn't anything else. Our heart was telling us that something was different. Our mind was trying to catch up with that. Yes. And our hands are what is actually doing whatever we're doing. And so I think we have to really take that into uh, account that our heart really does provide us with a really good foundation. Um, and then everything else just helps to, to guide the direction. And to trust it. Yeah. What are some of the most concerning problems that you've witnessed within the DEI field? People don't feel. Mm -hmm. um, they, wow. folks don't feel and, and that is because we are ruled by the written word so if it's not written then it didn't exist and wow. I'm like no if if it if it happened it, it happened like we don't really need anything else we just let's trust that it happens well people lie yeah words lie too but we're, we're mm -hmm. you know we're hell bent on on whatever is being read and following that but we won't follow people um, and I think that's the biggest thing that I, I struggle with, even with working with uh, different companies. There is a, a, a need to have things very task related. Let's check it off. Let's move on to the next task. And that's not human. That's not how humans work. We're complex or nuanced. Uh, we are, we have all of these different things and what works for one does not always work for two, three, four. And so it's very hard at times when you have someone who is like, I believe in DEI, let's do this, but they have no intention of listening. They have no intention of feeling, they have no intention of checking themselves. They only want to make it go away. And what is what can I do so that I won't get in trouble? Like, can you tell me that part? And sometimes I have to actually bring that to the table. Are you looking to change hearts or are we looking to not go to jail? Because those are two different approaches to the work. And if you're not honest with yourself, this ain't gonna work. Cause I might be, I'm coming in a different way than what you want and we're not gonna end up um, aligning. And so uh, I think honestly, that's my, my biggest part is the folks who are so, and I think that's, it's, 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 a, it's a catch 22 too, because there are some folks who are, will not, feel what other people are feeling and then there's others who take on all those emotions mm -hmm. and they can't decipher them mm -hmm. so now they're just like this person is in agony this person is in pain and you're like they are hurt and now you are also hurt and now you are using those combinations of energy to talk about what you need um, done and what you need done has no rational thought to it because it's only coming from that very strong emotion. So like being able to work with folks on both of those ends where you have those who are almost cold to what needs to happen in DEI and then those who are so um, invested and so wounded that their trauma is louder than the work um, and, and we, can't, we can't move with it. You're you know, they're hiring you probably thinking that they're getting logistical advice. And what you're doing is teaching them how to be healthy, whole humans who can authentically communicate with each other. <laughs> That's literally what, you know, and it's funny. I think you, I've seen maybe on Facebook or IG or something like that. Someone was like, you know, describe what you do without, you know, telling your, your job. And I'm like, I help people be nice to each other. 
that's that's my job i help them see that they're actually dealing with another human and not this subspecies of 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 uh alien thing that they have no idea how to interact with you understand hurt they understand it too guess what because <laughs> you're both human mm -hmm. and folks honestly that is where I think the vast majority of our, our, our differences lie, is the inability to see each other as humans. Wow. On the flip side, what's some of the encouraging progress that you've seen in the DEI field? They're actually paying for it. <laughs> That's a good it's starting point. It's the biggest point. part. It's a good starting point, right? So it's like, <laughs> I hear sometimes people say, oh, this is a new field. And I'm like, no, we've been doing this for years. No one just wanted to pay us. <laughs> we Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have these titles. We didn't get these fancy titles before. Um, there were no resources for us. We were armies of one. Now they're like, okay, we have to build a department. And, oh yeah, we got to make sure that we audit things. Like all the things that we have been talking about for years in order to get the workplace at a uh, at some type of base level is now starting to happen. Um, and so. Uh, that is the biggest part that I'm saying, okay, like now folks are seeing it. Um, and we still have to make sure that they don't have rose colored glasses on, right? So you have folks like, yeah, we paid all this money. I was like, yeah, and your board is exactly the same and your senior leadership is exactly the same. And all the issues that you had before are exactly the same because what you did was you paid someone to give you a logistical understanding of what you needed and they never changed hearts. They never ensured that you actually could thrive and that marginalized identities were no longer um, minoritized in that space. We never let, like that was never levied. Um, and so you're like, yeah, look at all this money we gave, but the progress is not, is not changing. So for me, I think there's two things that are happening that are both good and good, if I could say that, is that there's mm -hmm. two types of change. You got change that is actually happening. There are hearts and minds that are, 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 are understanding better, but then you also got change. Some money is going into people's pockets. And so now where are we focusing our change on? Is it monetary uh, consumption or is it actual hearts and minds? Wow. And are you seeing investment in this field across different types of companies, different sizes, different genres, uh, yeah. different locations? Yeah. So, yeah. so across the board, um, a lot of a lot of different folks. Of course, the you know the 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 big folks are they have the teams that can come in yes. and do it. But the the small the small companies are also saying like we want to get to that point, but we don't want it. We don't want to have to get to that point without the people that we need. So let let's start now. And so. I actually enjoy working with those small and mid-sized companies because the the big folks, uh, you know, they have um, they have units that are <laughs> that have been created for this. It don't mean that they're actually doing nothing, but they they have these units, and so it's kind of harder sometimes to convince um, because they're making the numbers pan out. Um, doesn't mean that folks have a sense of belonging that all of these intrinsic um, values are are truly there it's just the fact that you know folks are cool well i was thinking as you were talking about the smaller and mid-sized ones that it's probably nice to build the foundation correctly from the start mm -hmm. because when you come in with a big company i'm assuming you're disassembling some of the foundation to try to even oh re yeah reconstruct and you have to challenge their values their objectives their mission and that's really hard for companies who have who have built a brand on those things because you're telling them like oh that whole section now needs to come out or needs to be reevaluated and that that's a lot harder for people to let go of small to mid-sized companies still understand that they're in a growth phase and their yes. growth means that changes can happen and they're okay to adapt to those changes um but there are some folks who are able to get into those larger c-suites and do some real uh real good work um, but for right now, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited just working with my small to midsize um, because I can see it. There's a, there's a, there, I get to take away some of that, that good fruit of seeing the change and, and checking back in with them after a few months and being like, oh, you actually continue doing what you said that you wanted to do. So 
I'm going to stick to the smaller, smaller like of, of the pond. <laughs> you know, humans have a set of uh, different cognitive, um, we have cognitive biases that we have. And mm -hmm. one of them that's the most detrimental is commitment and consistency. We will, as a species, keep doing things because it's the way it's been done, not because it's, there's any logic, not even because it's good for us. Um, and so I'm <laughs> wondering, is that is that something that you deal with in, in the DEI field is just trying to get away? It's, it's a human bias is just so intrinsic and so frustrating in a lot of contexts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially when it's made you money, because they're like, you know, there there is the uh, what is the confirmation bias. So you're you're like, yeah, even though too. we believe this thing, we're we're it's confirming everything we're doing is confirming mm -hmm. where we are, and so um, it that is very hard to be able to to help break that cycle. And the only way that I've been able to break that cycle is to challenge it, and the challenge is why. And it can get very frustrating sometimes because after a few times, the why just doesn't make sense. And that's the problem. The how and the what is what you all are doing, but you don't have a why. Your why has changed. And when that why changes, other things change. It goes completely along with it. And so I think that is a, a really big thing to, to work with um, for all companies is to find their why. And, and if we can tie it back to their value and their core beliefs, um, it, it makes it a little bit more tangible for folks. And it doesn't make, I also don't like to use change as much depending on situation and, and the folks I'm working with, but I do use shift. Mm. And the reason for that is because again, when folks hear change, they, they believe that something is wrong. You're Panic. about to, you know, <laughs> knock everything out. I'm never going to have anything. How dare you? And I have to, you know, remind them like, Hey, if you want to change, you know, you know, one of the zeros on, on my check to another zero, I'm totally okay with that change. I love that change. Let's keep doing that change. But when people feel like at some point they're going to lose something, that is when they begin to, to really push against that. And so for me, I'm saying, I don't want to change you, but I want to shift your perspective. And if I can shift it, you'll change without me ever asking you to. That's really powerful. And I think part of the reason language is so important is that we feel words. You know, when we were talking about how we feel things, we literally do feel words. You take this word and shift is, is I have a whole set of, you know, really empowering feelings around that word. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a, that's a really um, subtle yet powerful tool. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is shifting gears a little bit, but I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic. I watched your recent TED talk that was, are you a man or a woman? I'm black. And I wanted to ask, how did you choose the topic for this powerful video? Um, and what was your process for creating it? Because it was so well presented. I was nervous, so nervous during that entire, uh, everything that happened, even being able to do that. I did not know up until we probably were doing rehearsals what I was going to even talk about. I knew I wanted to bring these identities together. I knew that there was that we needed to talk about this and how it showed up um, for marginalized identities specifically. But I honestly did not know what I was going to say. So what most folks don't know is on that that particular one, there was nothing written. I had nothing written. That was. <laughs> That was believing in how the universe and my ancestors were going to speak that day, but I didn't have anything really planned, um, and which really made the 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 uh, folks who were putting the production on kind of nervous because they were like, "So what are you going to talk about?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I really don't." Um, so I was thinking about all of that things like, "How do you how do you how do you bridge those things together?" And it came out of a conversation. Um, with someone that I don't even know. I think I took a picture and the under response was like, are you a man or a woman? And I was just like, well, that's an odd question. This is about a shirt. Why did you need to know? So like, why did, why was that a thing? It was, it was yeah. a shirt. I was taking a picture of a shirt and it was like, well, I just wanted to know, but why, yes. <laughs> why? I don't know. I just like, like, is it a man's shirt? Is it a woman's shirt? It's a shirt. It's actually just a shirt, actually. It's a covering. That's all it is. Um, and then I started talk. I started thinking. Um, uh, Dr. John Paul um, uh, has talked about how um, people actually ask you, you know, what your your um, occupation is to assign levels of respect. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that in gender. 
Mm -hmm. So people ask you in order to know how much space you can take up. So if you're a man, okay, I know that if I'm if if I identify as a cis man and I think I'm looking at another cis man, that I cannot uh, compliment that shirt the same way that if I if I knew that you were female and I identified as as male. So that heteronormativity of that, okay, that makes sense. I can make a crass um, joke about it. I can you know really compliment like I mean you look really good in that, as opposed to if. You, are, you assume that I was a man, that you don't believe that you can compliment me because that somehow is pushing against heteronormativity, right? And so I thought about that when I was, uh, was thinking about, wow, in this regard also, I don't even get a chance sometimes to tell people how I identify because I'm already situated as black. I don't even get the luxury of being able to say, oh, well, this is how I identify. It's like, oh, Patrice, black and. Everything is black and. And I'm like, that's interesting. So it came out of really not knowing what the universe was going to do, but then having, in my opinion, the universe say, these are the things that I want you to talk about. And I put them in order and talk like you mean it and talk like you understand who you are in it. And so that's the way that I, I, I tried to approach that particular um, TED talk was from that, but really trying to emphasize that race is a big determining factor of humanity and what we allow uh, folks to be able to do. And then right behind that is gender. So a black man showing up or a black trans man showing up or black non-binary masculine presenting person is going to be reviewed very differently mm -hmm. than anybody else. And we need to be able to have that conversation. That's incredibly powerful and really well said. And I do, I also find it fascinating. This just absolute dogness in which people must assign a label, especially, especially around certain identities. Um, and I, I like that you also were like not giving it to that person. Right. <laughs> like, like, I'm why? Like, focus tell on me the more. shirt here. <laughs> <laughs> the shirt. Do you like exactly. the shirt? Exactly. Just get the shirt. You were talking about your ancestors speaking through you. And that was another thing I wanted to ask you about. In the talk, uh, you mentioned that the language of people is gender neutral and you give examples. And I thought, oh, wow, like if only, if only we had that available to us. So when did you first discover this and, and what did that mean to you? That was discovered absolutely by accident. I didn't realize it. Um, so Gullah Geechee uh, language is, is very much an oral language, it's passed down. And so for many years, um, I would say almost a century, they didn't, they didn't consider it a language because it was never written. And so, you know, in, in Eurocentric um, theology, if it is not written, then it doesn't exist. And so um, when we began to write, we wrote the way it sounded and not, the way that we would normally spell it. And so um, because when you would be talking to a group, it had nothing to do about being male or female. Like it, it just actually had nothing to do with being male or female. It just had to do with the work needs to be done. Let's see it, let's make sure it's done. Um, and so you would hear the replacement of um, gender pronouns with E and M more often. And so um, there's a, 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 a Gullah professor from Harvard, um, um, Sumchala, uh, Professor Sumchala, and um, he breaks down Gullah language. He's actually teaching in Harvard under African diasporic languages. And so as he was writing, he was like, yeah, we don't use that. And I was like, you know what? I don't remember ever using he or she to describe anything. I would describe what it was in front of me. And if you look and you look and it don't matter really. I don't know if it's a he or she looking. He say that, he said what? You know, oh, okay, that person. Because sometimes it had to do with, you didn't know what a person was, uh, especially enslavement. Not every enslaved person uh, was as manicured as we are now. So for some people, you didn't know if it was a man or a woman based on certain characteristics, right? And so we just didn't use it to talk about each other. And so I did, again, it was not something, you know, standard American English is very much a, a big proponent on how pronouns show up for people. 
And uh, when I realized that was just not something that was natural to my community, I was like, I ain't gonna do it no more. I'm gonna I love speak it. the it's, way it, I need to. <laughs> the, the, the restrictions in our, in our English language feel so restrictive and, and it, I would go as far as to say oppressive. There's just oh, yeah. um, all these layers that come with them. And it's part of what I like about the term like non-binary is it's saying I'm not willing to go into these two categories with you. I'm either both beyond or in between. Uh, you don't even know of those, <laughs> which one I'm choosing. Right, one right, them. absolutely. <laughs> Um, how have people responded to your TED talk and what kind of feedback have you gotten other than my, you know, obviously admiration and <laughs> I've, had, I've, I've gotten really good uh, feedback. Um, I got trolled. I thought, you know, oh my God, I've made it. I got trolled officially. So I actually got good trolled uh, uh, by someone who uh, was very angry about the, <laughs> the presentation and, you know, uh, transphobic, homophobic. I mean, just all the isms that you can throw into it. And it, it hurt like it was one of those things like wow like I really was you know stepped out there I didn't want to but this is what I felt it was needed and someone didn't accept it and I had to realize that that's absolutely okay it's not mm -hmm. their story to read but mm -hmm. there's somebody that's going to read this story and see and hear themselves so that's the person I need to talk to so no matter if I got to get past people who don't want this doesn't mean it the, the the message has to be any less um, uh, intentional and any less uh, loving and empowering for whoever needs to hear it. And so um, I also recognize that when you have folks who are extremely homophobic and transphobic and having all of these other isms, it's because I am providing a opportunity to see what it feels like and what it looks like to thrive as a human. Yes. And that's not something you can do. And so I can yes. imagine that that is a, a rips at you to see this person take back identity in a way that says you don't get to give me one. Well, you got to stay with it. You got to whatever that, you, you know, you got to go to the bathroom. They tell you you got to go to the bathroom. You got to dress the way you have to exist in this enclosure and look mm -hmm. at me. How mm -hmm. dare I fly? I can understand it. That that's possibly an irritating thing for some, but for those who need to see the flight, I've done what I needed to do. I just got chills for a second time. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it it must be irritating to watch you fly. The freedom, the the you know the the courage, the just to have. And I, I when you're describing, you know the the best thing we can do in any marginalized group is just joy, happiness, abundance, community, um, energy, like all, all of life's greatest joys. Um, and of course, if you're ever going to do something significant, you're, you know, the ultimate sign of it is feedback on both sides. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Did you know, I heard this a long time ago and it, it stuck with me ever since, uh, when there are boats, that capsize and they have to send helicopters to pick people out of the ocean to save them. Do you know who they pick up first to save first? No, I don't. The people that swim toward them because it shows them that they're ready to be saved. They want to be saved. So, and they're alive. But the metaphor is we are speaking to the people swimming toward us. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when I heard that, I thought to myself, um, that it will always be what I do is I speak to the people who are swimming toward me, who want to be part of, the, of a community that has these values. And Absolutely. so when you were doing this, um, you, you know, you attracted all these people like now I'm in your world because um, I was swimming toward you when you were speaking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a, that's a good thing. It's, yeah, it's absolutely a good, um, a good metaphor. That's how you know one that the person is living and that there is a, there is a desire to live. I think that's a, the mm -hmm. other part is a desire to live. Um, and I think we are in a, in a uh, world right now that so many folks um, are choosing not to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what's absolutely. causing so much of the oppression because if you live in your life, and I'm living my life and I'm enjoying my life and you're enjoying your life, what do we have to fight about? <laughs> like, we really don't have anything. Like, I'm okay. not going to find this thing about you that I don't like now because I'm too busy enjoying my yes. own existence. But mm -hmm. if I got time to watch you, I'm going to pick mm -hmm. you apart because I've been, I've been looking at how dare you have this joy. I got to take it. 
I cannot let you continue to thrive. And I think that is what's unfortunately happening um, for so many people. And I think that's one of the big reasons why Instagram is such a big part because what, what we're doing now is we're, we're taking these pictures of ourselves in the best moments. We're mm-hmm. not showcasing anything else. And so yes. um, until people put like videos and other things out there, there's nothing to pick apart. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing to pick apart. And so people are like, they're enjoying that. They're getting something out of just being liked. I think that's also just an interesting. And, and we don't have any other emoji for like, but a heart. So it's really not even being <laughs> liked, it's being loved. So we're actually yes. seeking people to love us. And I think that's a, a big issue. And that's one of the big reasons why we have so much unhappiness that we're seeking love from so many different people. We don't get that love, we gotta replace it with something. Yes. And that's usually hate and other stuff. And that goes back to what we spoke about near the beginning, being that self-generating engine of love internally, you know, and you can have like, when you learned that capacity, that that is ultimately one of the most freeing principles that you could have learned. And then that keeps that body self-sustained. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, who is someone that you admire and why? Oh my goodness. Um, There are absolutely so many uh, queer and trans folks. And the reason why I like to to look at queer and trans folks as my uh, folks to aspire to is because those are the folks who get, like they they live the the most. Like Mm -hmm. they really like, they were like, screw how society shows up. I am going to exist in the world in a way that is authentic to me. And I don't really care that you don't like it. I I just honestly don't care that you don't like it. And I think that that's an interesting way where, you know, so many other folks have had a very stark path and they've done some absolutely wonderful things. So I don't want to ever take that away, but to the, to the rebels, to the revolutionaries, to those who were like, it's literally free or die. Mm-hmm. Those are the folks that I'm like, and those are the folks who are still living. So of course we have, you know, our, our pioneers within in the movement, Marsha P. Johnson, Stormy mm-hmm. DeLavier, uh, De these, these beautiful uh, trans symbols of pride. But then we just have, you know, uh, a woman named Brianna Riviera, who is in charge of the um, uh, uh, trans, uh, trans coalition, uh, black for black trans women. She's just awesome. Like she's just an awesome person to know and and to to hear and to see. Um, so many that honestly come to mind, and I'm like getting jumbled as I think through them. But I love these folks who are living now, yes, and who are doing the work now. Yes, we stand on shoulders of giants who you know many paid with their lives in order for us to have certain freedoms to do. But we honor them by not only living but thriving in that that's how you honor folks it's not just the fact that you you know made it out of this life but actually you had a chance to live it and you get to thrive that those are the things that I look for and I I I look for in anyone and I'm I'm talking about from the three-year-old you know to the you know 103 year old if you live in your best life I'm trying to be like you. I agree. And that ability to just let go of all society's expectations and live true to your own compass. I I think that is like, how could you not just bow down in admiration? That's an incredible thing to accomplish. So yes, good, good choices on people to to bring up. Uh, If you could give advice to your 10 or 15 year younger self, what what would you say to them? 10 or 15 younger self? Um, I would probably tell that individual that you are that good you actually are that good what you have in your gut is real it's not even though no one else can see it or you can really articulate it no that's that's who you are I, I can't tell you the probably my entire life I have been told by teachers I talk too much and now I, I kind of do it for a living um, and I, and, um, I remember being, I, I'll never forget when I was, um, probably maybe in third grade, I got 
my grades, I had a 4.0 and then I had all threes in citizenship. I'm just, you know, thinking about like, wow, you know, to be a good citizen, you had to be quiet. Whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Um, but I remember I got all threes, which is the worst that you can get. And I remember my parents had to come in and we had to have a parent-teacher conference. And my teacher was like, Patrice obviously knows what they're doing, but they talk too much and they're distracting to other people. And in my small brain, I was just like, I don't understand why they can't balance. Like, I don't understand why there's not a balance of this. Why can't we talk? It actually makes us better because we get to learn from each other. Oh, this is what you got for number five. I was thinking like this, it opens the door. Um, and so like, I think that's a big thing even now that um, I would tell myself like, don't, don't become quiet, don't become um silence because it's easier for other people um be be just as loud be just as nerdy um in some respects um as you need to be in order to to get to another point because i'm pretty sure there will be 15 years from now you're gonna ask me a question and say what, what would you have told patrice today and i don't know i don't know yet <laughs> um but i i believe it's still gonna be like you gotta keep moving um because if not, um, as uh, Zora Neale Hurston said, they'll kill you and tell you you enjoyed it because you were silent. And I, I just can't let that happen. The world needs your voice. The world needs everyone's voice. And I think it's so absurd to think that there'd be a voice that's not needed or brought in, into form. And like, I mean, whether it's the source or the energy or the creator, like, it's insane that we're here, <laughs> we're made of matter and we're existing. Like, yes, voices are needing, <laughs> needed. Uh, similarly, what's a book you've read that had a powerful effect on you? Mm. This is going to be probably cliche, and so I'm going to take the backlash that people may give me for that. <laughs> uh, my, my, one of my favorite books is actually the King James Version of the Bible, and, and this is why. Uh, one is when I figured out that there were books that were missing, and I wanted to read every book that was missing because I was like, I knew it was pieces missing. This makes more sense. Um, but what it does is that the, the book is meant, and again, I might get some backlash, but the book is meant to be living. It's even called the living word. And the reason for that is because it changes and it fits the reader. It's like um, the never ending story. When you think about uh, uh, the book, the never ending story, as you, they were reading, the person who was reading it was actually a part of the book while it was happening. And I'm thinking, as I'm reading it, there are so many things that have happened in my life that this made sense for where I was in my life right then. I don't need anybody explaining it to me because that's your explanation. That's your interpretation. But when I read it, it fits me. And that right now is one of the, the few books that I've ever read um, that have really fit me um, in a way that I'm like, every time I read, I can read the same passages, passage um, at, at different times in my life and give me something totally different every time. And so when people are like, this is what God said, I'm like, I don't think, I don't, that might have been what he was talking to you about, but that wouldn't, that's not mine, that's not me. Um, and so for me, that book is something that is, uh, it's something I, I definitely said I have held on to. And like I said, there are a lot of folks who have had trauma um, with religion, particularly um, queer folks. We've had a lot of trauma that has been embedded in religious texts, but it's their interpretation of it. It's not what was actually written. Um, and when we read it for ourselves, we are able to get something out of it. Just like I, get it, I can get something out of a Dr. Seuss book. I can get something out of a manual that comes with, you know, something I buy. Whatever is needed for that time. And so I think it's the same thing as we, we think about that. But that actually is, is one of my favorite books to, to read. I think it's a great choice. And it's always about how we receive and listen. And I think you did a really fantastic job of articulating that because people like to say that there's, like you're saying, there's something that was written or said, and no, we're all receiving, we're all listening, we're all experiencing. And I think that is the most powerful distinction you can make on, on it. And, and an excellent choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. One of the most uh, sought after books, right, in the world. I like that one. Uh Absolutely. Stood the test of time. Yes. Um, so you also are into brewing and, yeah. and love different beers. How did you get into that hobby? Um, I got, I fell into 
beer, like literally fell into beer. I live in Colorado. You kind of can't get away from it. It's the Mecca of craft beer. Um, and my college was actually um, looking for a person who wanted to do DEI. They were going to have one foot in, in academia and then one foot in, the, in that corporate space. And I applied. Why? I don't know. It just made, it seemed like it made sense at the time. Um, and uh, I have absolutely fallen in love with it. I love the people. Um, beer is, is, is definitely secondary um, for me. It's the people because uh, the people in the industry are like, we want different and they just don't know how. And because the, the industry has looked one way for so long, they really don't know who to get. Like we know we want more people, but we don't know how to attract them. And so for me, my biggest thing is like, if you, you do something with that infrastructure, you begin to change the infrastructure, it switches how people perceive and how people um, want to be a part of it. And so from there, um, just like any other studying um, that I've done in my life, I immersed myself in it, got certified as a beer server, um, started looking at possibly doing a Cicerone certification, like really trying to understand this craft. And I found out it's just about the human existence. It's a, it's a elixir for humanity. This is something that every human has made in its own variation throughout time. And I just thought it was a really cool thing um, that more people needed to know about. So that's how I got in the beer. <laughs> it has such a rich history, but what's interesting is it's also such a, it's a unifying force, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like I would love, you know, for us to sit down as soon as COVID lifts and we'll just go get a beer together. That oh, would yeah. be incredible, right? It's just a unifying force. So it's one of the best parts about it. You, you know, you're talking about the community, but it in itself, like that is like, who wants, would you rather drink one alone with another person <laughs> or with a group of people? <laughs> right. It, is, it, it, it commands community. It's definitely been very yes. much ceremonial. Um, and it's, it's sacred. Yes. It's a sacred thing because there's yes. a lot that goes into it. Um, and so mm -hmm. no matter if you're a king or a peasant, when you put a beer between them, they were on the same playing field. And we can still have that now, but what is the, the, the community is what makes the beer the best. It's the community that it brings together. And so one, I will definitely need to take you up on that. We will have to have a beer um, together at some point. And then two, um, yeah, if you're if you have not taken the tour at New Belgium Brewing Company, please, I would love to personally um, escort you and and any and any community members that you bring with you. Let's let's go have a tour to, of the brewery and 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 commune together. We'll absolutely make that happen, and I think that the other beautiful thing about brewing is that there's like a transmutation. You have this ingredients and you change it into something completely different. And you and I both have, you know, biochem backgrounds, but uh, I've always been fascinated by that, you know, that there's just a complete shift. Uh, and then suddenly it has these effects on the body and these aspects of bringing people together to uh, experience it. But it's, it's a really neat, the science of it is neat too. Oh yeah. The science, I, I don't, I don't think I realized that they were scientists. Like I thought I was like, oh yeah, I make beer. And it's like, no, when you yeah. like really think about it. You're like, you have chemists that yes. are really are bringing yes. these things together. But I think the metaphor of that, even when you think about the chemical uh, understanding of it, that the bond has to be broken in order for something mm -hmm. to change. Oh, so what we think is a metaphor, <laughs> right? So what we think goes together in order for it to actually taste and give you the sensation needed, you got to break that bond or you got to add a bond to make it stronger in order for it to do what it needs to do. So that, that definitely shows up in how we have to do things. Again, body self-containing can do some really miraculous things, but your body is also telling you there are bonds that must be bent, some that must be broken, and then others that must be added. That is how you continue to build the structure needed wow. in order for things to change. Wow. Wow. And most important final question, how could people get in touch with you, whether that's to uh, hire you, get you to speak, <laughs> have you present, get some consulting? Yeah, uh, so I am on LinkedIn. I get a chance to, to, I got a few characters to say how I feel about life um, in the workplace. So please follow me on LinkedIn. Patrice M. Palmer um, is my name. Picture is up there. I have hair in that picture, so it's still me. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, my email address is pa.palmer5276 um, at gmail.com. If you're 
uh, looking to possibly have a conversation around a speaking engagement or anything to that effect, please let me know. But I always uh, tell folks, watch what I've done prior to, because I want, I want the <laughs> folks to understand how I show up in this space, because sometimes folks are like, that's not what I paid for. Um, so I always tell folks, like, uh, you could just, you know, YouTube, um, YouTube me and you'll, you'll find some, um, uh, some videos about some of the work that I've done. And then always, you know, uh, check out the TEDx. Um, it's about maybe it's under 11 minutes, I believe. Um, and it's, um, are you a man or, or a woman? I'm black. And again, under Patrice M. Palmer, TEDx CSU, um, to, to get to know me even better. Fantastic. Well, I'm incredibly grateful for this chance. Next time we're going to do it in person. Yes. <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, not just for this talk, but for everything that you bring to the world. Again, you know, huge admiration for your work. Thank you so much. Again, appreciate the, the opportunity to, to be on this show and, and to have conversation. I love what you do. I watch you. And so I know if I'm watching you, other folks is watching it, <laughs> watching you. Um, but I appreciate how you bring people to a deeper level of understanding of themselves. It's never, I, I don't feel like it's a gimmick. I don't feel like it's a persuasion. It's like a different perspective. And when you provide folks with perspective, you allow folks to make choice and choice breeds access. So I appreciate what you bring to the space and how you are able to share in, in the beauty of our world and to uplift our communities. Thank you so much. I think it is the gift of being outside the norms and outside the bounds that you actually look at what you've observed and you see it for what it is. So I, I've always been incredibly grateful for <laughs> some of the experiences that uh, make me more aware of, of how, how the world works and what's worked well for me. Oh, absolutely. Whether it's, absolutely. you know, food or finance or fitness or nutrition or all those topics that I love. So thank you. Uh, and I will be in touch soon so we can connect again. Absolutely. You have a good one. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, let's connect on social media so I can share in your world too. You can find me everywhere using at Kate Hildreth or online at the website kadehildreth.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and review this podcast.